0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET,
1: this is Detroit Today. What do you think of when you think of the American South? If you live here in Southeast Michigan, there's a strong chance you have some family historical connection to the South, and certainly our food and culture and music, things that took shape during the migration from South to North, reflect a lot of southern heritage a new book takes a look at the relationships and dynamics that shape the south today and how they relate to our views of it monty perry is going to join us today to talk about her journey below the mason dixon line it's all next on detroit today but first the news from npr And welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. So, there's a really important narrative about who we are and where we're from here in Southeast Michigan, and it goes something like this We are literally up south a term that you often hear African Americans use to describe Detroit but one that says a lot about so many of us black, white and other whose families came here in the early to mid parts of the 20th century our grandfathers and great-grandfathers, grandmothers and great-grandmothers came to Michigan from Appalachia from the deep south from the deep deep south by the hundreds of thousands and helped swell the city's population to nearly 2 million by 1960. The reasons to come north were somewhat different for everyone and kind of depending on who you were. Certainly everybody was lured by the promise of better economic opportunity, and we always talk about Henry Ford's $5 day and the absolute attraction that it had, especially for white migrants coming from the South. African Americans, of course, also believed they were escaping the old South, which still worshiped and enforced inequality across the board. Regardless, though, the ties between Detroit and Detroiters and cities and towns all across parts of the south is really strong even today think about our food or our music our culture all of it that grew so precipitously during the 20th century much of it comes directly from the places we're from it comes from the south and so for many of us there are still really strong ties with places down South. There's rich family history, there are trips that we remember or still take, and powerful memories that reach back generations. A new book, South to America, describes the South in a way that clarifies the lens that those of us whose families left the South used to understand it. It discusses the region's nuances and highlights the false narratives that we sometimes espouse about the South and its people. Amani Perry is a professor of African-American studies at Princeton University. And in South to America, she writes of so many places in an attempt to cover its complexity, its beauty, the contradictions, and, of course, the endless tragedy wrapped up in it all bound in our country as a whole. Professor Perry is with us today to talk about this and more, and I could not be more excited for this conversation. Professor Perry, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for that gorgeous introduction. So happy to talk to you.
1: So I ask people this question almost always, authors, uh, to, to start off conversations. Tell me what inspired you to write this book? And what inspired you to write it now? Why is this an important story for us to be thinking about?
2: Well, I mean, of course, in some ways, it's it's particularly timely as we are facing a kind of revival of the culture wars and um, a really sort of strong anti-democratic push in this nation, much of it that seems to find its center of gravity in the South. But to be honest, I wasn't thinking of the moment as much uh, when I wrote the book. It was in some ways a book that has been percolating for the entirety of my life inside mm-hmm. me as someone who, is just, you know, who was born in Alabama and raised in Massachusetts and spent summers both in the Midwest, in Chicago and in Alabama, and feeling as though over the entirety of my life there was this inc- sort of profound misapprehension, misunderstanding of the South. And also a kind of diminishment of it um, that became more acute. I had my understanding became even more acute as I became a student of American history and then a scholar that people really don't get how important this region was and is and how it still moves us all about.
1: Mm -hmm. So tell me from your perspective, what is the South and what does the region and its taste, its textures, its history, what does it tell us? about ourselves yeah. first as Americans but then we'll get to to the kind of uh, subcategories of Americans that sure. might be different yeah
2: right i mean i think you know so if we start sort of in the beginning and there's multiple potential beginnings right we can start with the first European encounter with what would become the Americas, we can start with, you know, in, in, you know, 1492, 1520, 1619 with with um, the British that wherever we start, it starts in the south. And the ways that were said at that moment are really um, instructive for, you know, one on the one hand, there's this discovery, there's this innovation, there's this imagination, on the other hand. Um, Lots of people were pushed out and killed and enslaved and dominated for the the service of, you know, frankly, nothing, nothing uh, less than greed, you know, really this idea that, oh, this land, it's so abundant, what can it yield, how much can be earned from it, and so that dynamic right the idea the imagination combined with a willingness to destroy people's lives frankly in the service of that imagination and that desire and that greed really tells us so much about why we can't <laughs> we have yet to achieve the aspirations you know of liberty and justice for all right it's too easy in the society to be willing to sacrifice people in the service of our aspirations. So that's a piece of it. But then also because of that, you know, the various people on the underside, you know, the poor, the indigenous, the enslaved, the Jim Crow, you know, the laborers have, have given birth to such important culture and freedom dreams. So the fact that American music comes out of the South is not incidental, right? This sort of, plaintive yearning, right, the imagination for what freedom could be, um, it emerges from there as well, right? So that seeking, that dreaming uh, on both sides really comes out of the South. And I I just want to say really quickly, I love the way that you mentioned that it is both white Southerners and Black Southerners who migrate, right? People, um, so that Southern culture really does become national in a way that I think often people only think of that in terms of Black people, but it's pretty, um, it's pretty uh, across, much across the board, right? Southern culture seeps into every corner of this nation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So this, this difference, though, I think, in Mm -hmm. the way that we experience the South and certainly in the ways that we experience our connections to the South is, is pretty important, too. Um, sure. And, and as you were saying, here in Metro Detroit, um, you're just as likely to come across a white person uh, who, who can tell you really rich stories about their family's journey north. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mostly those those involve, you know, the auto industry and its incredible economic lure, Uh, as you are to talk to a black person who can tell you about, uh, you know, their family coming coming north. They are they are similar stories, but they have really different dimensions. um, Sure. Because they're American. Right. (laughs) I mean, they're they're different stories. Yeah,
2: they're different stories. And And I do. You know, it's really interesting because the South has. As, sort of functions as the repository for the nation's sins, which is part of what I'm arguing in the book is that instead of understanding that the South sets the terms, people say, oh, that's the sort of backwards place where people do bad things, which is fictional, right? Mm-hmm. Because with respect, you know, racism and economic inequality and oppression of various sorts happens all across the country. But it also, I think, um, you know, my sense is that there is a kind of much more robust kind of romantic association uh, for Black people from who are not from, who don't live in the South, whose families migrated with that connection than there is for white Americans. I think there's this desire, often a desire to kind of leave the sort of uh, shame of the white South behind. Um, and what's interesting about that is that, you know, there's so, there's such a sort of, horrific history of racial violence in the midwest in fact that mm-hmm. lead pretending to leave that behind actually suggests that people shouldn't confront what is right you know what happened in that place you know um uh there's no you know that that tradition is strong in in, in the midwest um uh you know for for lack of a better word but yeah there so there's there are different histories but it is an it is a way of understanding how deeply intertwined we are, hmm. right? There's a share, there's a common culture there, even with all the the sort of the the anguish. And there's an intimacy that took place across the boundaries of the color line that shapes who we are. That I think is also worth acknowledging, even you know, alongside obviously the pain.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Amani Perry. She is a professor of African-American studies, the Hughes Rogers, uh, professor of African-American studies at Princeton University, author of the book, South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation. Uh, We're talking about the South, the American South, the way we see the South, especially as Detroiters and Metro Detroiters, the familiarity that all of us, I think, really have with, uh, with the South through the roots that we have there. Uh, We want to hear from you, the listeners, during this conversation as well. Uh, Do you have a connection to the South? Do you have a kinship with particular places in the South that uh, your family hails from and maybe you've visited and maybe even gone to learn more about who you are and where you're from? Uh, Give us a call. Let us know about those connections and how you kind of process uh, those connections. Is it something you see as a point of pride, as a point of historical pain or difficulty? Uh, how do you make sense of the connection to a place that has such a complicated and nuanced history. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, to Facebook or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Um, Professor Perry, before we get to listeners, I do want to talk a little more about um, that intertwining that you were just uh, yeah. just referencing. There's a lot of there's a lot of this in the book. Uh, and and in some ways, one of the things I really uh, enjoyed about it is is the way that you take that intertwining and pull other dynamics out of it. And one of them is the contradiction of whiteness. Um, right. And you talk a lot about that in your chapter on West Virginia, which I think is one of the most critical places for that question um, in in our country and in, in this region. I mean, the number of people here in Metro Detroit, whose families come from West Virginia is, is off the charts. So, so tell the horrifying and really bewildering story of George, who was a slave of Lilburn Lewis.
2: Yeah. I mean, so this is, you know, it's, he was a child teenager, um, and, uh, broke a, a vase that was you know that was cherished in the household and was massacred you know I mean just you know was killed in an incredibly violent fashion um as a result of breaking this vase and and other enslaved people were were called to bury him and then there were a series of earthquakes um and parts of his body kept coming up you know they tried to burn him they tried to bear you know all these things and it is uh um it is one of those stories that feels you know fairly biblical in the way that this effort to suppress um you know this absolute you know savage violence kept coming up kept coming up you know there was and ultimately you know the lewises wound up um Disappearing because for gentlemen, this was sort of a shameful thing to have have done this such sort of horrific violence, even to an enslaved person. But it's such an instructive story because we forget, you know, we tell the stories of West Virginia and minors and laboring people, and we forget often, I think, the elites that both moved around, you know, uh, laboring white people and black people. You know, that blackness was sort of subject to a kind of violence and disregard that was incomparable, but also white people were exploited laborers. Um, West Virginia still has incredibly, it's the whitest Southern state. It has incredibly, you know, um, uh, bad outcomes for residents of the state because of the inequality. And the way that Black and white people, of course, were, were um, separated, you know, laboring people, oppressed peoples, of course, through the idea of race. But I wanted to delve into the history of the state to understand that there are, there were layers of the ways in which people were disenfranchised, working people, people who went deep down into the earth to provide abundance for this nation, right? Like the things, our modern conveniences are possible because people went deep down into the earth and suffered physically, emotionally, um, and for, for us. Right. And I want, you know, so to uncover, uncover that history to me seems to sort of um, try to, try to get past sort of the romantic myth and think about how this place was made right Mm. across the board um, with some care.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, and, uh you can't help but read that chapter on West Virginia um and not think of not think of modern West Virginia and the story oh, of course that yes. we are talking about now and this, this incredible struggle that um, uh, that Joe Manchin goes through oh, uh, on yeah. a daily basis, I feel like, and and look, I'm not, I'm I'm not sympathetic to him in many ways for right. for some of the ways that he plays that, but I am, I think, empathetic to the, the 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 push and pull in that state, which I don't know that most people who live there now would describe it as. Having its roots in uh, this kind of racial inequality as well as economic inequality, but yes, but but it, but it does. does it absolutely, absolutely is cast forward uh, into twenty twenty two.
2: Absolutely, and those who own the you know there's a kind of mansion is sort of a in in many ways a sort of contemporary coal baron, and there and we see that tension between that sort of mode of wealth production and the democratic mm-hmm. uh, sensibilities of West Virginians, which are, which are very complex, right? The intersection between like this labor history and this racial history means that it's politics are really distinctive, but so illuminating. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, we're going to continue this really wonderful conversation with Imani uh, Perry about her book, South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation. Uh, We will get to you on the phones and on social media. Uh, If you want to join us, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Talk about your relationship to the South. Talk about how you think of the South. How do you think of the history that your family might have uh, in the South? So many of us here in Southeast Michigan do have those connections. You can also go to social media. Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest this hour is Professor Amani Perry. She is the Hughes Rogers Professor of African American Studies at Princeton University and author of the book, South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation. We're talking about the relationship between the South and the rest of America, the relationships that those of us here in Southeast Michigan uh, so often have to the South, uh, the place where so many of our families came from uh, to this city in the 20th century. Uh, we want to hear from you about your connections to the South, your thoughts about the South. Uh, call and tell us, is this a place that, uh, that you visited as a child to go back to where your family was from? What do you make of the places that you know in the South and uh, about how history shapes uh, what they are today, how they connect to our lives here in Southeast Michigan, uh, our food, our culture, our music. Uh, think of what Motown would not have been uh, perhaps uh, if <laughs> if we had yes. not had this influx of, of African Americans uh, yeah. from South to North. Uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Uh, is the number on the phones, 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Nancy in Dearborn. Nancy, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Stephen, and thank you uh, so much for having this topic. I've spent many of my days thinking about this very thing because my roots are deep into Alabama, and um, I was a military child, so... Mm. Uh, We moved around a lot, and I've ended up in the Dearborn area, in Dearborn, Detroit, as a professor, or teacher, and am about to consider moving down there um, with trepidation but also with love. Uh, My family history uh, goes deep, and I've written about it, and I think I saw social justice inclinations in my father generations, or, or I'm sorry, decades ago. I have. I am proud. To claim Doug Jones um, as a a, a voice of, of goodness out of the state, I am mm. proud that Alabama now has a its first um, black poet laureate, Ashley Jones. Mm. Um, there are many things, but but those things don't make quote the news. And my decision, of course, is to whether my <laughs> my progressive soul would be able to. Stay there and be there and make a change. So there's much more to say, but I'll stop at that.
1: So, Nancy, I, yeah. I, I love that you called, and I love that you're thinking of going back to Alabama. Um, yes. It's something that I think all of us who have roots there kind of toy with every once in a while. But, but Nancy, I, I, before I, I get back to our guests, can you ta- tell me just a little about that, the, the pull to yeah. go back and what you hope to do if you do?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. Do you have an hour? No. (laughs) 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 Is is that you? Uh, And I have spoken briefly when you were at First U Detroit. I've I've been writing about this. Uh, I started writing about my roots about 10 years ago, and as I wrote and went down and researched, I felt the pull, Mm. and I felt the need to clarify for myself what all of it meant. And as I've gone down more and more, I just came back last month from, I'm in Alabama to try to see how I felt about it, and I actually felt pretty good. Wow. But, then, but then I look at the, <laughs> the tweets from the Alabama governor, and that sent me <laughs> out the back door. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the draw is, is bloodline family. It's also a desire, a strong desire, to say, can we all figure this out together? Can you understand that I'm a white woman, uh, a baby boomer from Alabama, and that I do care, and I want to help, and I want to know what to do? And, and tell me what to do. And so that's where I am with it. I've made I've got every friend I have in Alabama is progressive and open-hearted so and that's mm-hmm. amazing to some
1: people. That, that is that is kind of <laughs> amazing to think about. Nancy, I'm so glad you called uh, and shared that that story. Uh, Professor Perry, that that right there, uh, Nancy's Nancy's pull uh, or yes. the, the, the lure back. Is something that I think is also fascinating. You have that same oh, that same yeah. dynamic in 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 your life.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I was I was born in Alabama,
1: and most of my
2: family continues to live in Alabama. And before COVID, I went there probably four times a year. Um, you know, wanted my children to be deeply connected, so I understand that pull. Um, there is a kind of grace in everyday living, a kind of gentleness and kindness in the way people interact with each other. And I will say that it's very easy for me to connect to Detroiters because so much of Detroit culture is... Directly connected to Alabama. I mean, sure. that's the prime right, and and even the intersection between Appalachia and and Alabama. You know, my ancestors come from northern Alabama, which is sort of the the foothills of Appalachia. So there's mm-hmm. so it's very it's a very um comfortable connection. I will say that I think part of the history, and I write about. Uh, white Alabamans who were in the civil rights movement in the book, and part of the difficulty I think for for progressive, politically progressives, white white Americans in Alabama is that there is a disciplining, like a kind of punishment. I think that 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 politically progressive um, white people feel in a place mm. like Alabama that is so conservative, and I and part of what I wanted to do was give voice to that because. It's not to suggest that, oh, well, it's harder for them than it is for people of color, but it is important to think about, right, um, the way in which pressure can shape people's politics and, and can and, and actually can alienate and isolate people um, in a in a context that tends to be sort of racially divided. So it's so wonderful to hear. That so much of you know her community in Alabama is like minded, right? Yeah. I think that's a it's a good thing, and it's important to nurture those communities uh, in the South.
1: And and it's important to note that there the South is changing really dramatically mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now, and it's not just you know Alabama and 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 politics. It's it's culture and demographics and, and yeah. all kinds of things all the way across. Uh, the South. It is not the place that it was just just 20 years ago. Uh, and, and Nancy's stories about this kind of progressive thought and community, the, the election of Doug Jones, the elections of uh, Warnock and and uh now I'm going to forget the other senator from uh, from Georgia. Oh, Georgia. Yeah. Um yeah. I yeah. mean oh, well it, I think it's th- astonishing, right?
2: Yeah, although Georgia and Alabama are very much different. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. I mean Georgia <laughs> is a, is a much um I mean I think that the tricky thing is it's it's changing but it's also the changing same. So we're both Seeing a transformation around all sorts of issues, race, sexuality, gender politics, you know, immigration is changing the demographics, and there's a very intense backlash happening. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. question is how those of us who are in the South or connected to the South, how will we meet the backlash? Right. Um, so there's so there's a there's a um there's a transformation, but there's also a really important I don't know what the language would be battle. That's a long, an old battle that's being waged about who counts, right? Mm -hmm. Are we going to, is every human being in this place, are we going to treat them with respect and recognize their dignity and include them? And, and that is an important thing to be part of, I think, you know, so it's transformation, but it's transformation that is only sustainable with participation and civic engagement.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nancy again, Really appreciate uh, the call and you sharing your story, and good luck uh, as you make decisions about uh, whether to go back home. Uh, Let's next go to Kelly on the east side. Kelly, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi, Stephen.
3: Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I find this conversation fascinating because I've always found the Southern to Northern migration in America fascinating, and I'm really glad um, we now have somebody writing, you know, such a great book. I intend to buy this book. Um, My father's family moved from Tennessee up to Lansing when he was first born. He's a baby boomer to uh, work in the car factories. Mm -hmm. And even, but before they came, they had been farmers in Tennessee. And before that, they were loggers. The first immigrants were loggers in the Appalachian Hills. Mm. Um, whereas my mother's people um, settled in Michigan a long time ago and just never really left. Um, so I do feel incredibly divided, I consider myself a northerner, a Yankee, I guess. I've only <laughs> ever visited my Tennessee side of my family twice in my life, and it was in the 80s, so I don't have a relationship. They feel like foreigners to me, and when I did interact with them, it felt very different, um, and, the, and the whole idea, I, I appreciated, you know, that, um, I'm sorry that um, her name is escaping my... I'm um, hearing right now, brought up earlier in the conversation about um, the labor of the the white people in the hills and in mm-hmm. the farms and the exploitation um, but it still didn't sit well with some of the behavior I saw when we did go and visit as if you know, from them um, yeah. so I guess I just, I do feel that divide and I do yeah. feel that um, as in now a Detroiter or Michigander, you know, I've mm-hmm. Kelly, I've only I, ever known integration. So. Yeah,
1: right, right. Uh, Kelly, I, I really appreciate that perspective because uh, I think for, for a lot of us who have roots in the South, there is this difficulty um, that we face uh, reckoning with what that that history is. For white Americans, I think uh, a lot of it is, you know, connections to the system of inequality that, you know, has, has had hold of, uh, not just the South, but 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 the entire country since its beginning, uh, but for African Americans, there's also this this um, uh, reckoning with pain, I think, and and difficulty, and and some forms of shame about uh, about where you're from and what your family might have uh, endured. Uh, Professor Perry, that that duality, yeah. I think, is part of the relationship too.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's interesting. One of the things I think it's really important to and it's more evident with with white Americans who migrated from the south, but that everybody left largely because of work, right? So there is there are these narratives about black people escaping, you know, Jim Crow and racial violence and while that is a thread it's the boll weevil that really precipitates Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. migration for African-Americans. And it's always been the case, and people don't know this, but the majority of African-Americans continue to live in the South, have always lived in the South, right? So the Great Migration is massive, but most Black people stayed. Um, I think the thing that is tricky about some of the framing, though, of like sort of the South sort of escaping, you know, the racial logics of the South for white Americans is that you know, there really was so much racial violence in detroit um and 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 you know, the surrounding suburbs. I mean, in in many ways, mob violence unlike that that had ever been seen in the south in the mid twentieth century. Um, and then there's also the piece that is, you know, and and one of my great my best interlocutors for the book was Dr. Walter Evans, who was a physician, a surgeon in Detroit for many, many years who was from Savannah and returned. And even he talks about being in Detroit and he was a successful surgeon and a black man, but white flight um, and the segregation that exists in Detroit, right, as framing his experience and actually experiencing in some ways in the South is actually not as racially hostile. So I think we have to sort of push some of the ways that we assume things are. um, And also with the sort of The sort of culture of explicit racism in Appalachia being clear that for some white Americans, and this is not an excuse, but rather an explanation, whiteness is the only thing they had, (laughs) right? Mm. I mean, there's so, and so that becomes something that is clung, you know, that people clung to desperately because of how debased and how inferior they were seen amongst white Americans. So this doesn't justify it, but it's important to understand that, someone else may decide i'm moving because there are too many black people around here and never say a racist word and someone may mm. say a racist word but not be able to move away from black people right? like
1: that those <laughs> those aren't
2: necessarily different things you know
1: yeah yeah okay coming up we're going to continue this conversation with uh, professor imani perry of princeton university about her book uh, south to america We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. And if you want to join us, again, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Tell us about your connections to the South, your memories or uh, your thoughts about uh, the South and what it means, what it means in your life, what it means in your family. Uh, You can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we can include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest this hour is uh, Professor Amani Perry. She is the Hughes Rogers Professor of African American Studies at Princeton University and author of South to America, a journey below the Mason Dixon to understand the soul of a nation. We're talking about the South and its powerful connections uh, to the rest of our nation and especially to us here in southeast Michigan, in Detroit, and our suburbs. So many of us have uh, family connections to the South, have memories of the South, have uh, cultural connections to the South. Uh, call and tell us what those are for you. What are the touchstones in your life that uh, you relate to uh, your family's history in the South? Uh, as always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313 313-577- 577 one o one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and uh, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, I, I want to start uh, this part of the conversation um, talking about my own connection uh, to the South, and and of course I've got like uh, like everybody. I have two different families that that uh, ended up coming. Um, north to 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 Michigan, but my dad's family and his journey has been the one that's been most interesting to me, and it's because it's the one I know the least about or knew the least about uh, growing up. Uh, and I spent thirty years as an adult not having anything to do with uh, with those roots. My dad died when I was fourteen, and I was 44 when I finally went back to Natchez, Mississippi, which is uh, where he's from, uh, to start just kind of reacquainting myself with him and his family. But also, uh, you know, what I've found, of course, is uh, a really complicated and really rich history. Um, and I, I don't think any African American can make that journey and get much further than the first journey to uh, uh, the Hall of Records or uh, to a cemetery, and not bump up against the history of of slavery. Uh, because uh, as much as I think, as Americans, we'd like to think that's ancient history, it it really just isn't. I mean, uh, it's only a few generations back in, in all of our families. And the difficulty of uh, reckoning with that especially when you don't have um you know your family to kind of explain it um it, something that's been really really intriguing to me it, it, to experience as an adult that uh, it's not just um it's not just like digging in the dirt uh, of, of the past it's like it is digging inside uh inside of ourselves and trying to understand um, really complex things. I mean, uh, one of the things that, that I've bumped up against really quickly is uh, the notion that I'm related not only to enslaved people, but in almost certain probability, uh, also enslavers. Um, and that that complication, I think sometimes turns us off from that kind of exploration um, but but in the book um, I, I think you do such a wonderful job of of trying to to exp- I, I guess it's maybe a a, a course pack right <laughs> for, for for doing that in a way that doesn't um, that doesn't inspire such negative feelings that doesn't ex- ins- inspire shame but inspires a thirst for. For understanding, and it, it reminds me of how little so many of us actually understand. I mean, I I am confessing to my own ignorance here over thirty years and uh, the last uh, the last uh, several years of of trying to 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 be more knowledgeable. But I think that's a, I think that's pretty common, and I think that fear is one of the things that holds us back.
2: Yeah, that's so. You know, if I it. I think that's true. And one of the my struggles with um, with the genealogical piece is that I do, you know, I, and I do genealogy in the book and I think it's important. And it is for, for most of us as black Americans who do genealogy, we will find a significant amount of European ancestry, which means that our ancestors were most likely victims of the institutionalized rape of yes. the slave society, right? Yeah. And I mean that, I mean that, and this is really important because people ask this question about consent, and you have to remember that an enslaved person really couldn't consent because they couldn't say no, right? Right. So, irrespective of whether there were relationships of sort of the most brutal form of rape or um, the sort of coercive rape, either way, right, that is a central part of our history, and lots lots of our our women ancestors experienced it. Um, And so you know that's part of the story and also part of the story is that many of our ancestors most were not documented by name if they right. were documented by name it was because they were in wills and being willed to people but their births and deaths were not recorded and so for me as someone who is able to trace back to the to the early 1700s knowing that for many african americans pre-1870, it's not going to happen, right. is that I, wanna, I want us to be very clear in understanding that even if you can't, that all of the history belongs to all of us. Even if we can't trace individual histories, we can learn something from the stories broadly of how Black people endured and imagined and escaped and all those things. That I, I want us to have a a broad sense of it belonging to all of us, much in the same way that you know, our ancestors came from so many different African cultures. We mm-hmm. have pieces of all of those cultures. We don't have a single culture. We have pieces of all those cultures, all the European cultures, the indigenous ancestry. We are, by definition, a mixed race and a multicultural people who became something on these shores out of the devastation of the transatlantic slave trade.
1: Yeah, yeah. A big Neil on Twitter writes, uh, I wish I was able to participate in a conversation like this. But my family has a propensity to not share those oral histories. Unfortunately, that leaves me yeah. not knowing my family roots. This is exactly what, what what we're talking about right here. Is uh, yeah. for so many of us you've gotta you've gotta kind of proactively um,
2: dig around
1: yeah right you gotta go <laughs> you really and do. do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's not as hard anymore. Of course, we've got all these wonderful. Tools, tools through technology <laughs> that uh, that didn't exist uh, even a decade ago um, to to be able to do it. So
2: can I uh, say uh, just sure. share a story related to that because I I have one side of my family tree that I don't really know and um, I was through ancestry was digging around and found this ancestral cousin. Who almost has the exact same face as me, and it's a sort of like it's it my son. I actually put a picture of her on the wall. My son was like, "Take that down. It's creepy to yeah. see this 1920 <laughs> picture." So someone. I was like, "But I mean, I think that there's, you know, there we we have to be able to quilt our way to to making a sense of our story, and even the silences." are important to acknowledge, you know, that there's some, you know, that there are things, you know, Toni Morrison does this beautifully in the novel Beloved, which Mm -hmm. ends with these lines, this is not a story to pass on. And even the refusal to passing on is something that is historically significant. So I do encourage people to dig around, but also to think about what it meant to not want to give you the burden of certain histories, right? That's meaningful too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That story about your cousin who, (laughs) <laughs> who looks like you, reminds me of the moment in Natchez when I walked into uh, the summer home of the family that I'm pretty sure owned mine. Uh, and wow. they, had a, they had a portrait on the wall of, uh, of the, the slaveholder who, who founded all of, all of what yeah. they had. Um, and if you had made him, I don't know, a few shades darker, uh he oh. would have been my, my grandfather. Oh um, my goodness. I mean wow. the, the the likeness yeah. was just the
2: Remarkable, hair stood up right?
1: on the back of my neck. Um, now that's not a picture I'm gonna hang in my house. <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> but it's but... a reminder of of where we all kind of come from.
2: Um Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, Natchez... big Yeah, go ahead.
2: No, I was just gonna say and Natchez has such an extraordinary cultural history, right, which it is does. also something that belongs to you, right? I mean, it's yes. just, yeah, it's a remarkable place it's, yes. it's, and a painful place.
1: It is. It absolutely is. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Yolanda in Detroit. Yolanda, what's on your mind?
4: Hi, Stephen. I love your program. <clears throat> Been a long-time follower. Thank you. Um, my accidental history involves Fort Pillow. My mm. great-grandfather was one of the few survivors And it was only until about 2000, I mean, uh, like 2006 that we found him. Wow. And I'm in Tennessee right now because the um, massacre occurred on April 12th of 1864. Okay. And descendants come every year for the last 15 years to memorialize and commemorate this massacre, where out of 600 Union troops, only uh, over 50 percent were killed, women, children, soldiers, black and white—majority of them were were black, um, formerly enslaved people—and um, it, it's kind of traumatic because the state of Tennessee doesn't know how to handle this history. Sure. And the descendants are from all over. Um, I'm from Detroit. Um, My dad was raised in Memphis, and he didn't even realize that he had a grandfather who was one of the survivors. So this is what we do every year. There was a bill um, introduced three times trying to make this site a national monument in a battlefield um, memorial that has not passed because Mm -hmm. some of the legislatures here in Tennessee will not um, recognize this site. Wow. And people just don't know how to handle the history. Um, It's all about the uh, perpetrator of who who caused the massacre, but there's no focus on on the victims. On the victims. Yeah, yeah, and my uh, cousins who live in Memphis, they very seldom attend because they say they have to live here. Bringing up this past horrible incident of a massacre on, on Tennessee soil is kind of traumatic for them. And they have to get up every day, go to work, and, and uh, interact with other people. And if you bring up the Fort Pillow incident, they say, "Oh, you know, that we got too much to do nowadays," because mm. that happened 158 years ago.
1: Right. Yolanda, I, I love that you called, um, and, and I just want to say, the vigilance that uh, that you're exercising with other descendants is. Is the thing that that matters, um, and is the way that hopefully uh, you know you will eventually get the recognition that uh, that you want for 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 your ancestors, uh, Professor Perry. I wonder what your reaction is to that story.
2: Yeah, I mean it's um, you know it's so devastating, and to keep in mind, you know both that. Nathan Bedford Forrest, who is the one who led that massacre, mm-hmm. has been honored all over the South. I mean, everywhere. Monuments right? everywhere. <laughs> the <schools>. right? Yeah. <laughs> and also that the Fort Pillow Massacre, part of it's it, it was horrific. And also the idea was they Confederates didn't take Black prisoners of war. They killed them, Black soldiers, because of thinking that they were not fit to be soldiers. Right. So The massacre is both, it's a a taking of life that's horrifying, and it's also an assertion that Black people did not count, right? Mm -hmm. That that's part of the logic behind it. You are useless in this society, but for the condition of enslavement is essentially what the message was. And so it is a, a particularly horrifying moment in our history. And this is part of why we're battling over how to tell the stories of history now. Because if you don't tell that story, then it, you 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 evade the long question of how many ways Black people have been kept out of being fully recognized as members of the society, right? You know, if you tell that story, it actually encourages you to think and to look and to pay attention, right, to what remains unfair. If you turn your head away from it, mm-hmm. right? It, it actually, you know, these are the kind of, you know, destructive binders. So I, I am so um, appreciative you know, the caller and her family for continuing to tell this story and to push for it, because it's important, right? Because it's one of those stories that tells us what this nation is and isn't, right? Um, Yeah, so important.
1: Yeah, Yolanda, uh, I'm glad you called and uh, and good luck in Tennessee. Uh, Yes, indeed. Let's quickly go to Brittany in Van Buren Township. Brittany, I've only got about a minute and a half left, but I wanted to get you in here. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Hi.
5: Thank you so much for your, or thank you so much for taking my call. I'm a huge fan. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't hear the entire segment today, but the portion that I did tune in on um, was a portion on um, Appalachia. And that immediately hit home for me because I grew up um, a good portion of my childhood in Southern West Virginia. Um, Hmm. My family down there are Southern Baptists, like the whole deal. I was baptized in a white dress on a river um, and speaking (laughs) to the whiteness in that area, that was like hit the nail on the head. Like mm. that's all they have. That's all they're like, there's there's so much of nothing there. Um, well, when I moved down there, um, my mother started seeing someone who used words and language um, to talk about black people that I knew was wrong. And I didn't really understand because that was the first time I had started hearing this stuff. And um, the school that I went to didn't have, I didn't have very many black classmates mm-hmm. and I couldn't, I didn't think that, like, those words applied to them. I didn't think those behaviors applied. And um, it was really confusing because my stepfather, um, his best friend, one of his very best friends was a black man. And he would say, he's not those words. Right. Those right. those things don't apply to him. Right. And it was very confusing. Um, so, and, uh,
1: Brittany, yeah. I, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but we're going to run out of time. And I do want to have uh, Professor Perry react to what you're saying i've only got about 30 Um, seconds left though
2: (laughs) yeah i just will say quickly i am so moved by your obvious emotion and i do think that you can hear it it in her voice yeah Yeah, and i i think what you're saying speaks to you know racism and hatefulness are traumatic (laughs) and Mm -hmm. they wound us they wound us all not maybe not equally and that you know, just testifying and you're saying, "I knew this wasn't right," and then wanting to seek something different is important. That's that's important for all of us to do, in all of the different forms of bigotry and and hatefulness that are exist in the world. And they're not they're not coherent. It don't make sense because they're they're wrong ways of seeing the world. You know.
4: Yes.
1: Yes. Professor Imani Perry, it was really great to have this conversation yeah, with you. Thank you. About you. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great talking to you. Take care.
1: You too. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. I'll be back on Monday when we're going to be talking about the new political fight around abortion that's happening here in Michigan. Governor Gretchen Whitmer trying to overturn the ban on abortion ahead of what might be uh, the Supreme Court striking down Roe v. Wade. Important show on Monday. I'll be here. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music and conversation. We'll talk again next week.